0: Please.
1: Another edition of Truth and Rhythm. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I am your host, Scott Doctor GX Wolfei. If you enjoy this programming, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube, which is where Truth and Rhythm lives, and be an advocate by spreading the word among fellow funk, jazz, and R&B music lovers. Join Truth and Rhythm's membership program through Patreon. You can also submit a direct donation to the cause anytime at FunkinStuff.net. At that site, you can also purchase the book, Everything's on the One, The First guide to Funk. Shop for official Truth and Rhythm and Funk and Stuff merchandise and use the Amazon links for all of your online purchases, which allocates a percentage to this show. For those of you who go the extra step in supporting the show, you have my heartfelt gratitude for allowing us to continue to shine the light on those special artists whose quest is to find truth in rhythm. I'm honored to welcome to the Truth Rhythm Mothership acclaimed and accomplished rock and jazz drummer, composer, and producer, Cindy Blackman-Santana. In addition to her own solo and group leader releases, she has distinguished herself through long associations and collaborations with rock star Lenny Kravitz and her legendary husband, guitarist Carlos Santana. Other notables she has worked with include Josh Stone, Bill Laswell, Buckethead, Angela Bofill. Vernon Reed, Jack Bruce, Ernie and Ronald Isley, Narada, Michael Walden, and so many others. Her most recent album is 2020, Sprawling, Give the Drummer Some. And this year, she's performing with both her own band and Santana. Cindy, thank you for joining me. How are you?
0: I'm great, and thanks for having me. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. So good to have you, and I understand you're coming to us all the way from Hawaii. Is that right?
0: That's right. Yes.
1: (laughs) Wow, well I envy that. So beautiful.
0: It is. It's it's a paradise here. You know, it's such a blessing. And this is a real gift because the island is so beautiful. And, you know, there's a vortex, there are many vortexes of energy spots here, you know, and and this particular island is known as the third eye chakra of the of the Hawaiian island chain because it's at the top. Um, and so you really do get. A lot of uh breakthroughs with insight being here. It's 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 amazing how the energy works, you know. And then it's just gorgeously beautiful. So it's a win-win.
1: <laughs> and that's Kauai that you're on. Yeah. 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 I was there many years ago and uh so beautiful and that canyon they have there. It's I think that's the spot on earth where they get the most rain and somewhere in that jungle they have there.
0: This is the this this is the One and two, um, one or or two, the first or second wettest spot on earth. You know, so we get tons of rain. This is the rainy season right now. And the the deluges of rain are incredible. Um, At the moment, it's not raining. It's overcast. But this morning, earlier, we had uh, some rain and the droplets were so huge. The sound was amazing so the you know rain or shine here is it's just absolutely gorgeous you know um and the rain produces such beautiful plant life the leaves are thick and gorgeous it's so green here and just lush so it's it's definitely a tropical paradise
1: i always wanted to do one of those helicopter tours there i didn't get around to that but hopefully it's on my bucket list
0: I see them, you know, um, there's a valley below and some mountains behind us. And so I see the helicopters going around. I'm not that brave. Um, <laughs> I'm not really excited to get into a whirly bird that has no doors and you're just kind of buckled in and you're just, you know, kind of hanging there on your own. But it looks amazing. And I've seen some footage and, and my friends tell me that it's absolutely incredible and that you can see. Parts of the island that you would never see, like the center of the island where there's, you know, basically nobody living. um, You know, you can see all of that, you know, places in the island where you can only hike to, you know, you get a chance to see all of that from from above. And, you know, it's really gorgeous. But, you know, I I have not braved a helicopter ride and I'm not really looking forward to that aspect of it myself.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because I would sooner do that than get on stage like you do, you know, but there you go. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, again, so glad that we could connect for this and uh, been a fan for so long and an admirer. Um, Before we jump in, Cindy, I wanted to just check in and just make sure, you know, Carlos, his health. You know, I know we had a few issues in recent times. How's he doing?
0: Oh, thank you so much. He's doing so great. He's doing so well. he's he's very healthy and very happy. and this is a a respite for us. This is a place to come and just you know relax and and um, rest up and rejuvenate, um, eat really healthy foods and and uh, so he's he's doing fantastically well and very much looking forward to our summer shows um, and uh, couldn't be happier. Yeah, thank oh. you for asking.
1: So glad to hear that. So glad to hear that. So, going to test your memory banks a little bit to get us started. You know, um, you (laughs) grew up uh, in Ohio and Connecticut and um, drawn to drums early as a child. And you had that lineage, you know, with the women in your family having the musical uh, talent. But um, um, I want to uh, share with the folks, you know, what was it you think about drums and rhythm in particular that just clicked with you like it did?
0: You know, I always um, was attracted and drawn to the drums when I heard records. And I didn't necessarily know what they were because I was, you know, a small child. And my mom says that from the moment I was born, I was always tapping and, you know, making rhythms and looking for things that made sound, whether it was on her back or whether it was on a pot or, you know, something that was cavernous so that I could hear some sort of tone. Um, And she said she thought that I would outgrow it. And then she's like, well, you never did. (laughs) So, you know, I think it was innately inherent in my soul to want to play drums um, because I had no idea what the drums were. I was just attracted to that role in music, to that sound. And then when I saw a physical drum set, I was completely attracted to the physicality of it, the way the drums were set up. I loved the way they looked you know, when I got my first drums and, and the first time I I took a drum head off and smelled the wood, I was attracted to the smell, you know, I just liked everything about it, you know, so it's just something, you know, I think that called me from the moment of, of, of my inception into this realm.
1: It's so fascinating to me because I've heard from a lot of drummers that just so early on, they just had a, a, Ah, uh, you know, gravitated toward it, that they just felt that rhythm pulling on them, sort of mm-hmm.
0: It's a calling, you know, and it's a very natural calling, um, because pulse is part of what created this universe. It's a very important part of the universe. It's a very important part of the the planet. There's a pulse to the earth. And we all have a pulse because we have a heartbeat. So it's a very important aspect of our makeup and the makeup of everything that we see. So to be attracted and pulled towards rhythm, to me, is a very natural thing. Um, And so I find that a lot of drummers, like you said, say the same thing. And I applaud everybody's um, willingness to embrace that because we need to give pulse back to the universe, to give pulse to ourselves, you know, and to share that rhythm with, with others. I think it's very, very important and it makes a difference in, in our lives. It's very healing too, you know, when you have children who, you know, have uh, just normal development or children who have some sort of, Learning challenge or you know physical health mental challenge it really helps people not only children but it, it helps adults it helps seniors you know when you you know uh, if you go to a nursing home and you play drums it really helps people kind of get into you know a movement and so um, to me it's 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 a great thing all the way around no matter how you look at it you know whether you're the actual performer um, of this. Uh, or whether you're the, the receiver. It's also part of our language. You know, it comes from Africa with the the communication that it was used for. And and that also created the music that we that we have because it was call and response. You know, one drummer was playing one thing and and the next drummer in whether it was you know in the in a nearby area, village or whatever you want to call it, you know, or in the same area, you know, they responded. So then we get this call and response thing and that turned into the blues. And so that whole thing was, was furthered and developed right here in this country. So to me, we should have a really incredible affiliation with the drums here. Um, And and we owe the drums a lot.
1: Yeah. So, and how old were you when you got your first legitimate set you know and how did that feel
0: well i have to say i got my first drum set at the age of seven i started asking for drums at the age of three but that was like a little toy kit so when you say legitimate uh drum set um i got my first drum kit my first student model kit when i was 11 <laughs>
1: and did you play in the school band and things like that or just uh, on your own
0: On my own at first. And then, you know, when I I got into um, uh, junior high school, I started playing in the concert band, stage band, uh, the jazz band, the pit orchestra band, um, uh, the orchestra. You know, so I played in every aspect that I could find in my school. And then I joined bands, you know, um, with other people my age, you know, in, in my area. And, and, and we used to play little concerts, like, you know, we would do outside festivals. We would play at, at, at uh, school dances or different colleges. Um, My mom didn't want me to grow up too fast. So clubs, you know, were out of the question for me at that time when I was so young um, when I was 11. Uh, But by the time I was 13, I played my first uh, gig with a funk rock trio and we started playing in bars and clubs and stuff like that. And, um, that was comprised of, of two friends of my older sister who was singing, uh, my sister Anasa, she, she was a singer at the time. Um, and so my mom was, was, was okay with that because she knew the people, you know, Um, But she was very guarded. And so there was a lot of playing that I wanted to do that I was not allowed to do because she was like, no, you're not going to grow up that fast. I don't want you around those elements or, you know, in the nightclub element, you know, and all that. So um, but I did have some some beautiful chances to 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 uh, play and and found some um, actually some amazing people to play with.
1: And I know that you have deep jazz roots, um, but as you were coming up in your teen years, let's say, um, were you into also contemporary artists or was it, you know, immediately you were just drawn to the jazz cats?
0: Oh, sure, sure, sure. I mean, because, you know, well, firstly, in my house, we had all kinds of music because my dad loved jazz. So he had records of, you know, Miles and Amma Jamal and different people. You know, my mom had been. A classical violinist. Um, she had to stop when she started having children, um, and her mom was a classical pianist. So we had classical music around, and she would take me to concerts. My older sister liked everything from Miles Davis to Jimi Hendrix to you know the Beatles to Shaka Khan and Rufus to James Brown. You know, so she had like a two hundred stack record collection that I would dive into. Um, and you know, of course, raid <laughs> and listen to all the stuff that she had. Um, and then my younger sister and I grew up with the pop element, you know. So we had that. My brother liked jazz, you know. My older brother. So you know, there was all of that stuff swarming around in our house. And I started playing. You know, at home, I would I would play to the funk records and stuff like that and um, do the do the poppy stuff because that's what the kids my age were were kind of listening to at, at 11, 12, and 13. Um, and then we we had a family friend who was a, a drummer. This is when we lived in Connecticut and uh, his name was Doug Woods. Um, he took the name Dawood. He played drums with Jackie McLean. And um, he said, you know, if you want to be a drummer, You gotta listen to Max Roach. And so he turned me on to a lot of Max Roach records. Uh, I think um, Un Poco Loco, that was maybe one of the first records. But anyway, he took uh, some transcriptions of Max and wrote them out for me. And I was like, well, wait a minute, he's doing that with his left foot and his bass drum and then it's all playing different stuff okay, that's interesting. I got to get into that. So that really got me (laughs) intrigued because it was a a, a bigger challenge, you know, and something that sounded really cool. And I was able to use all of my limbs. I was so excited about that. You know, so, you know, I got into that and um, my older sister had a, a, a guitar player friend who as well said to me, look, if you're serious about the drums." you have to listen to the best drummer on the planet. So he took me to his house and I didn't know who he was talking about. Um, He and his family were upstairs having dinner. He sat me down in the basement and he put on a record. He came downstairs afterwards and he says, what did you think about that? And I said, that was absolutely incredible. Who's that person on drums? Thinking that it had to be some elder statesman. I had no idea who it was. And it was um, Tony Williams it was, <laughs> and he was like, well, that drummer is 16, you know, so he played four and more and live in Europe. And I was hooked, you know, when I heard those records, um, that just blew my mind, because I had no idea that somebody so close to my age could have played something like that at the time that he was that age, you know, and I think I was probably 14, you know, at that time. And I was just Totally mesmerized. And so that set me on a track, you know. And my brother um, picked up Love Supreme. And so I got turned on to Elvin. And I started investigating and listening to all these different records. And I found some R. Blakey records. And I thought in my naivete, <laughs> this is kind of funny, I thought, because I heard Elvin first, I thought that R. Blakey came from Elvin. <laughs> And then through study and through talking to people, I'm like, oh, no, Art Blakey is everybody's daddy. Wait a second. <laughs> so, you know, that whole thing just put me on a trek to study and learn um, and get deeper into uh, the the realm of, of jazz and creative uh, drumming and still, you know, I was listening to to the other stuff as well because I loved, you know, James Brown music. So, you know, I certainly loved um, Jabbo and 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 Clyde Stubblefield, and I was listening to, um, you know, everything else that I could could. Could, could possibly hear. Uh, so I heard all these drummers and of course, I love Jimi Hendrix, so I, I heard Mitch Mitchell. And then I would listen to the tie-ins that these drummers had you know, to each other and to the different musics. So that has been, uh, and it still is a, a, a beautiful quest, respite and, and relaxation for me to, to listen and to, and to appreciate and, and to stay on the track of, of listening to all this stuff that I love.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, all those diverse influences certainly come out in your choices, you know. Um, Who was the first person that you actually saw perform in person?
0: The first great drummer that I saw um, was Buddy Rich. And I didn't know who he was. Um, I had gone to, we lived in Connecticut at the time in Bristol, and there was an amusement park there. I don't know if it's still there, called Lake Compounds. And so, you know, I went there to go on the rides with all my friends, but there was a a, a ballroom and there was a big band in there doing a matinee show because this was on a Sunday in an afternoon. Um, and so they were doing this matinee and I heard the music and my friends were running over to the rides and I'm like, I want to see what's happening in there. So I took my little ticket, you know, thinking that I could use my ticket or however many tickets to to, to get in. And so I walked up to the door and I gave the guy my ticket and he was like, how old are you? You can't get in here. (laughs) You're a minor. They're serving alcohol in here. And I'm like, oh man. So I snuck around to the side and I just peeked in and I was watching and, and hearing as much as I could hear through the, you know, through the window, which was shut, but I was, you know, listening and could hear, um, and watching this drummer. And I'm like, wow, he's got incredible hands, whoever that is. And the next day I went to school and I said to my band teacher, I just heard and saw the most incredible thing there was this drummer playing and i said this old guy <laughs> i was you know 13 at the time i said there was this old guy and he was playing his hands were incredible and it was amazing and he said well where did you hear this old guy and i told him at lake compounds and i said he was playing with you know a big band of, of musicians and he said yeah, that was Buddy Rich. So that was my first, you know, introduction to one of the greats. And uh, it was Buddy that I saw. Yeah.
1: Mm, Wow. (laughs) I only saw him on TV. But uh, man, yeah, he was so fast. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So uh, thank you for uh, sharing all those influences, Cindy. Um, What when in your uh, path, did it sort of uh, register with you that you could and would make a a career or life out of music?
0: I knew right away that that's what I wanted to do. Um, I didn't know what a career and life of music meant because I was too young. Um, But I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I knew that that was my calling. And, you know, as I was going through my growth periods and, you know, exploring different things and checking out different things. Um, I was reading different books and I, I read a lot of books that um, my older sister turned me on to that really showed uh, a lot of, let me see, how do I put this Um, mistreatment of people you know, mistreatment of, of, of black people, like you know, racism and different things, mistreatment of anybody who was different, whether they're black or white or whatever, but anybody who was different. So that made me want to become a lawyer. So I thought, oh, you know what? I want to be a lawyer because I don't like injustice, you know, for any person. So I, I want to help that. And so I looked into law um, and I said, well, wait a minute. That's a lot of study. And I don't mind the study, I don't mind the work, but to do that and to really put myself into it and to be successful at it, I won't be playing drums. Forget that. <laughs> I won't have time to play drums. Um, and then a couple of years later, um, in my biology uh, uh, courses that we were taking in, in, in school, we were dissecting things and we were learning about the brain. We were learning about the eyes, um, and the eyes were very interesting to me. That's what I did. My my. Uh, Uh, final report on, but I was very interested also in the brain and in the way that the brain ticked. And so then I thought, wow, I want to become a brain surgeon because that is really interesting. I want to, you know, it's very intricate and I like the intricacies and, you know, I want to find out, you know, what makes a brain work and what's in there, you know, how does, how does, how how does thought occur? You know, I was very curious. Um, And again, I checked into studying that and there was even more years of study. I'm like, I will never play drums. So forget that too. <laughs> so those were the two things that really caught my attention that were, you know, totally opposite of, of playing music, but um, they didn't went out because I, I love music more and, and that's my heart. So that's what I went with.
1: You know, it's funny, as you're talking about, though, I'm thinking about how those disciplines would come so in handy with going into music and drums, because you got to have a sense of legalities and contracts in the music business uh, for the legal side. And then, of course, brain is so key to music and the psychology of it and how it affects the brain and all that sort of thing. So I see some tie-ins there.
0: Oh, absolutely. And that's true. And, and you know, the way that the brain works is is very interesting the way that thought happens and and what happens when you create a thought because as i you know grew and and matured i and through my metaphysical studies i realized that thoughts create things you know so there's more than just a mosh and mesh of physical you know, matter in our skulls, there's a thing that really connects us to the all that is, and we can make things happen. So there's so much more to thought and to the brain and, you know, to our whole makeup. So that really got me interested in spirituality. Um, And religion, okay, you can say religion, but more than religion, it really got me into spirituality, because to follow one course is cool, you know, that's great, but to look at the whole and to see all the tie ins and the core thought, the core elements that are involved in every true religion, that really um, was very interesting to me. Um, so I've done uh, some study, a fair amount of study, you know, in that area as well. And, and I love that, you know, and, and later in life, I, I, um, I mean, I studied, um, I, I grew up in the Methodist church, Baptist church, um, um, and I studied, um, I studied, um, uh, Kabbalah, um, and later I took, uh, some brain balancing courses from the Jewel University of Sciences and, um, that has really helped me as well. And I just recently uh, graduated from that. Um, uh, and that has opened up my my realm of thinking in terms of the power that we have in here and in here, you know, and what we can produce and what we can actually do. Um, and I like to mention that because I I definitely hope to inspire others to really, think about that and consider that because, you know, um, we are powerful beings. We are sparks of, of the creator. We have the creative, um, gene, if you want to call it that in us, because we were made by the most incredible creator. (laughs) So since we're part of that, and since we're made up from that, we can create, pretty much anything we want, you know? Um, And so the more of us who understand that, I think the more of us will be able to create balance in this realm, on this earth. And I think that the way that things are going now with the crazy times that we're we're living in, the more people understand that, the better off we're gonna be because we can do things up here and, and in here, we can change a lot, you know? I think it's
1: very important to understand that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's some deep, deep thoughts, and it's so important uh, to be thoughtful and mindful like that. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in as as you were, you know, um, developing your your skills and talents, how comfortable did you feel on stage performing? It's one thing to you know be gifted and 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 learn the techniques and all that but it's another to really perform it and to be comfortable with that and to really put it out there on stage.
0: You have to live it you know I mean you you need to practice for sure and you need to learn the fundamentals and you need to build a vocabulary. Um, but you have to feel it in here. And you have to live the music. You have to love the music, and you have to love what you're doing. And 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 once those elements all come together, then you start really developing not only a reverence for uh, what you're doing, um, and an ability to work with with others to make this energy happen, you know. You know but, you but you start to uh, develop your own um, avenue and outlook, and your own. Pathway. But that can only come to me. That can only come through study. It can only come through really, you know, checking out all that you love that came before you. Um, It can only come by application. Uh, When I first moved to New York, I played on the street for two summers in a row. Um, That was so helpful because all the stuff that I was learning from, you know, going to watch the great drummers uh, in clubs. Every night I was able to put into practice and also from, of course, listening uh, to the music that I studied on record and, you know, whatever videos I could find. Then I was able to put things into practice when I played. So you're physically able to put them into practice. And then when you live them, when you put them into practice through your heart, it's just, you know, royal after that. What's important for people to realize is that we have to live the music. We have to love the music. We have to love playing because all of that comes out. you know, So once we've gathered you know all this information, we've studied you know the greats that we love, we've taken things from them that we are inspired by. And then when we're living the music and loving the music, we're able to put that into um, action. You know, we're able to put that out into everything that we play. And, you know, once we learn the value and the, the joy of playing with other people, then we're also able to expound on that from that perspective as well, because there's an energy that's created anytime you, you know, get together with another person, whether it's just talking or whether it's playing, and especially when it's playing music, because we are electrical beings. So what does electricity do? It creates current. So when, we, when we're playing, we're creating an incredible current, uh, an incredible frequency. So when we are doing so with positive uh, feelings of love and, and great intentions, man, there's, there's no stopping, you know, what you can do. There's no stopping the amount of hearts that you can touch and the amount of people who you can, you can make happy, you know, and happy people make a happy world. Uh, <laughs> happy people don't bomb each other. Happy people don't want to see somebody else suffer. You know, happy people don't want to take from someone else. Happy people want everybody to to have and want everybody to be joyful and want everybody to be prosperous. You know, want everybody to be successful. Want everybody to feel love. And to me, that's one of the highest joys of of playing music.
1: Mm. And your first album came out in 88, Arcane, um, right? And it was a, a jazz release. And um, how did it feel, you know, being a leader? Did you always, you know, because you've played with others too, obviously. Um, did you always want to kind of lead your own thing? Or did you kind of fall into that?
0: I wanted to lead my own band. Um, my first band actually was when I was going to Berkeley. Uh, School of Music in Boston. And uh, the band was called Spontaneous Combustion (laughs) because we didn't really rehearse. You know, we rehearsed pretty much on the bandstand Um, and we just created stuff as we went, which was so much fun. You know, that band was a lot of fun. So I wanted to lead my own projects in my own band. Uh, When I got to New York, I was kind of just too busy trying to up my game and learn as much as possible. And I was really not thinking about doing my own record at that time, but, uh, Wallace Roney had his first record and used two of my songs on his record. And, um, Tony Williams was on Wallace's first record and Tony came into town, uh, on some other project, but didn't bring drums. And so, um, I said, well, he can use my drums, (laughs) of course. So I was kind of Tony's roadie for the day and brought my drums in um, and was able to be at the session, you know, uh, and the rehearsal, not only because were they using my drums, but, you know, they had were playing a couple of my songs. So that was an amazing process to see. But in terms of what you asked about the leading of the the, the band for me, uh, Michael Cuscuna. Um, who was the producer of that record, and Joe Fields, whose label it was on, these records, liked my tracks so much, my songs so much that they asked me if I had more. And I said, yeah, I I have more. Because I was experimenting, so I was writing all the time. I said, yeah, I have tons of songs. And so Joe said, well, you want to do your own record? I was like, me? My own record? Yes. (laughs) So that's kind of how that happened, you know? So I have to thank... Wallace, uh, God rest his soul. Rest in peace, Wallace. I have to thank Michael and I have to thank Joe Fields for that. Um, And I have to thank Tony for not bringing his own drums.
1: (laughs) How was it when you you met Tony Williams after being an admirer like you were?
0: It was the most amazing thing ever. And the way that I first met him was uh, I was playing with Don Pullen outside of Washington, D.C., Wallace was doing a gig uh, somewhere in D.C. Tony was playing at the Kennedy Center in D.C. with Herbie, Dizzy Gillespie, um, Ron Carter. And so we were like, you know what, our gigs end early. Let's let's go sneak in. So we kind of went to the Kennedy Center and snuck in the back, which Wallace knew because he was from D.C. He knew how to sneak in. So we snuck in and I'm thinking to myself, if we get caught, I don't, there's nobody I can say that I'm here playing with because Al Foster is playing, Tony's playing, you know, those guys are so known. I can't say I'm playing with any of those bands. You know, what am I going to do? I guess I'll just get kicked out. You know, so I had my stick bag and, you know, of course it was full of sticks and whatever I needed for the gig I did with Don Pullen. And I'm walking backstage and somebody says, hey, is that a stick bag? And I was like, uh oh, I'm busted. And I said, yeah. And so the guy said, do you have brushes in that bag? And I said, Yeah. And he said, Oh man, can I borrow those brushes? I'm Tony Williams, drum tech, and I forgot to pack brushes in his stick bag. And Dizzy wants Tony to play brushes on the ballad. First said he played on sticks, but Dizzy wants brushes, and I don't have any. I said, Are you kidding? Tony is why I'm here. I said, You can have me. He can have these brushes. I don't want them back. He can have them. I said, But can 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 I come along? And so he said, yeah. So he invited myself and and Wallace to the side of the stage. And so we were able to watch the performance, you know, right from there, which was like a dream come true. And then afterwards, I was able to meet Tony. And that was the first time I ever met him. It was, I was walking on a cloud. You know, it was amazing.
1: (laughs) Uh, That was a literal brush with greatness.
0: (laughs) Yeah, a brush with (laughs) greatness. (laughs) I like that
1: wow that's a great story um somewhere in the early 90s you connected with lenny kravitz so i'm trying to get the chronology straight um you know you you already had a few records out and you continued recording records even after you connected with lenny right so um how did you make that connection and uh how did you sort of juggle both things
0: you know um I had no idea who Lenny Kravitz was. I I didn't know him at all. I didn't know his music. He um, was a friend of Antoine Roney, who was Wallace's brother. And Antoine said, you know, my friend Lenny has been looking for a drummer for like a year and a half and he hasn't found anyone that he wants. If he's still looking next time he calls me, um, he said, I don't have his number, so I can't call him, but he calls me every now and then. If he's still looking, would you like to talk to him? I said, Okay, well, who is he? And he said, "Well, you know, he's a rock and roller, but he likes Gretsch drums and Kieselgum cymbals." I'm like, "He's got ears, okay? Yeah, I'd love to talk to him." Um, and you know, Antoine told me that Lenny liked Miles. Of course, he liked Hendrix. You know, and I'm like, "He likes the same stuff I like." So yeah, I would I, w- I would love to to speak with him. And about six months went by, and Antoine called me and he says, "Hey, my friend Lenny is online. You want to talk to him?" Um, and long story short, I spoke to him and, and Lenny asked me if I had drums, uh, set up and, um, in my apartment and I did. So he asked me to play and I played over the phone and I, I finished and came back and I said, well, I know the phone speaker is small. Uh, could you, could you hear that clearly? And he said, yeah, I'm in LA. Can, can you fly out here right now? And I said, OK. <laughs> so I said, you know, come out for one or two days um, and just pack for one or two days. No strings attached. Just come play with my band, see how it feels. And then, you know, I'll send you home. And I thought, OK, you know, it'll be a chance for me to meet some some new musicians. I had never been to L.A., so it'll give me a chance to go to Los Angeles and and see what that's like. So the next morning I had like a 6 a.m. flight. I went out there and. um. I, when, when I got there, he came to the airport himself to pick me up. And I was really surprised at that and happily surprised. Um, he was staying at this place, which um, uh, was like this big uh, mansion that was previously owned by Madonna. Um, and um, we didn't go straight there though. Um, it was actually just had been purchased by Rick Rubin. Um, so he's friends, good friends with, with Rick from Def Jam, um, who's obviously amazing in his own, own right. Um, Lenny took me to two places before we went to the place where he was staying, to Rick's house. He took me to um, to his mom's house. And we walk in and I had no idea who his mother was. And I see That's that she's Rocky Roper, who I grew up looking at. And I was like, That's your mom. I love her. She's incredible. And, you know, you never know what someone that you see as a personality on on TV or in the movies is going to be like, or what a musician that you idolize is going to be like, you know, his mom, I will always happily say, was even more amazing. She was so kind and so sweet. I just, I loved her from the first second. She was so warm and, and endearing and welcoming. That was an amazing woman. One of the only few women that I've met who I wished had been best friends with my mom. That's how incredible she was. What, what an amazing person. I loved her. Still love her soul. She's, you know, she's passed on, um, but she was just incredible. So he took me to meet his mom <laughs> and then he took me to a casting that he was doing. Uh, because he does some acting you know so he took me to a casting and then we went to the house and um we're waiting on the the gear to arrive from uh from SIR I think is where he rented from and um it took a long time and all of a sudden I see these people come in like with a snare drum with a bass drum pedal with sticks and I'm like this is not SIR these are drummers so somebody announced that he was going to be hearing a drummer and I guess his his management made an announcement on the radio that he was gonna audition. So there were like 40 drummers who showed up. Um, and um, I was a little bit jet lagged. So I went outside and kind of fell asleep <laughs> in a lawn chair. And so they started the audition. He wanted me to play first, uh, but someone else played. And his his uh, assistant, uh, Deborah, she found me and she was like, Cindy, come on, you gotta play. You gotta wake up because you know he already started. So I played and he basically called off the audition. He said, I, I, I want to choose Cindy. And, and uh, someone in his camp said, well, you've got 38 other drummers out there, you know, who came to audition for you. It's kind of not fair that they came all this way. And you're not going to hear them. So he heard all the drummers. He found one other one that he liked. And there was one guy who sent a notice saying that he was flying in from London, Michael Lee. Um, and so... The next day he had me play opposite the drummer. I forget the L.A. drummer that he liked, but we played opposite each other and he still chose me. And then Michael Lee arrived and we played opposite each other and he still chose me. Michael Lee was a great drummer. He ended up uh, he passed away. So, you know, God bless him. Uh, But he ended up playing with Robert Plant. And we ended up touring together because at one point Robert um, opened for Lenny. On a, on a tour that we did. So uh and I, I really love Michael's playing too. He was awesome. But Lenny chose me and um thank goodness. <laughs> and so that's how our our, our thing kind of started. And and you know I stayed instead of for two days for two weeks. And at the end of that we did a video, the first video I did with him, which was Are You Gonna Go My Way? Um which was amazing. And at the end of the video, we did like a 16, 18 hour shoot of that day. And he, he took me outside with, you know, the band and his manager and his assistant. And he said, um, so do you want to join my band? And I said, yeah, when do we start? And he started laughing. He said, it started two weeks ago. <laughs> so we went into rehearsals and, and, and that was, you know, the start of our 17 year association.
1: <laughs> wow. On on that audition, did you just play whatever or did you have to play to a song or what was it? All the important? drummers
0: played, we all played, um, I think, two or three things. We played, everybody played Are You Going to Go My Way, which was not released yet. It was about to be released. So we all played Are You Going to Go My Way. We all played a blues, and we all played, I think I played a Hendrix song. I don't remember. But, we, but everybody played at least two songs, and that was a blues and Are You Going to Go My Way. And then I think I played a, a, a Hendrix song. I don't remember. Something like that, yeah
1: well, and you auditioned before uh because you were kind of just doing your own thing before then, right, so I'm not thinking you did a lot of auditioning before
0: I didn't do a lot of auditioning um you know, I did an audition um for high winding and and um he had a, a a trombone band with himself and Curtis fuller and That was the only audition, I think, that I had done. Um, And I went in and I knew Curtis because I was a fan of Curtis's because of, you know, Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers. And I knew who Kai Winding was because I had heard him, you know, on record. And um, I went in and I have to say, at that time, my reading was really sharp. And so I played all the stuff down and, and Kai was into it. Curtis was into it. And I didn't get the gig. And I was like, wow, I didn't get that gig. I'm, I'm, I'm really upset. I don't know why I didn't get it. I thought it went really well. And Curtis pulled me aside and he says, yeah, I'm, 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 you know, I saw him you know, at a club and I was like, Curtis, I, I, I guess I, I don't know. I guess I didn't do as well as I thought. He says, no, no, no. <laughs> he said, you were great. He says, but Kai didn't want to choose a woman. So mm. I didn't get that. And I actually did one other audition. Um, this was was um after the Kai Wendy audition. Um, I'll let that phone go. Sorry about all these rings. Carlos is doing phoners upstairs. <laughs> we didn't realize that that we were our our, our uh, interviews were at the same time, but he's doing phoners upstairs, so we keep hearing those rings because he he's doing those phoners. Um I heard, uh, you know, I, I love Tony Williams, and, and I was a fan of Don Pullen. And I was listening to the radio, and I heard this this record, and I'm like, "That's Tony on drums, and that's Don Pullen. That must be Don's new record." So I went out and got the record, and I learned all the music just because I loved it. And my friends, my friend uh, Vincent Herring, great uh, alto saxophonist, called me, and he said, "Cindy, uh, I know you love Tony, and I know you love Don Pullen." Um, Don is auditioning drummers. He said, uh, "I'm going to give you his number." So I was like, "Wow, really?" I said, "He's playing that music, you know, um, from from New Beginnings." And he said, "I'm pretty sure because that's his latest record." And so I called Don, and he says, "Well, I got you know a lot of cats that I'm auditioning, so you know I'll take your number, but no, but I'm good, no thanks." And I was like, "Ah, okay, I don't, I don't get a chance to audition, but, you know, I spoke to him, I said hi, and he knows, you know, that I love the music. Well, he auditioned people for a week, and apparently he didn't find the drummer that he, that he wanted. So at the end of the week, he called me and he says, you know, I've been auditioning drummers for a week and I haven't found the person that I want yet. He says, so why don't you come down tomorrow uh, and audition? And he was uh, holding auditions uh, in uh, Alphabet City. (laughs) Um, I forget the name of the studio, uh, but anyway, it was down in like, I think third and Avenue A or something like that. And so I went down there and I already knew all the music just because I loved all the songs. And um, he started playing and I was intrigued and my mind was blowing because the piano sounded exactly like it did on the record so his touch was the exact same and so I fell right into it and I started playing and we played almost all the songs on the record and he looked at me and he says wow he says you're the first drummer that I've done this with he said you got the gig so I ended up playing with Don for three years so that was a successful audition and he later told me that the only reason that he didn't um, initially call me down was because he didn't think that he wanted to with a woman on drums <laughs> and I said well I'm glad you changed your mind dude and he said yeah me too because we were having fun so that was that was that was a good one that was fun and we we you know had a great association we, we, we like I said we played together for three years um and then unfortunately he he passed um but it was it was amazing uh time
1: yeah what, what year was that about
0: uh that was um nineteen 19- 89 or 90. Yeah. Hmm. And we played, so we probably played together until about uh, into 92. And he passed like right in that period. And then 93 is when I started playing with Lenny.
1: So, and, you know, um, are you going to go my way? That video was my first introduction to you also, like I'm sure so many people seeing you for the first time. Uh, and then subsequently, you know, I got to hear some of the great jazz you did before that. But um, I just rewatched it again, you know, yesterday just to, you know, get ready. <laughs> How much, uh, you know, freedom did you have creatively uh, for that video in terms of your look, in terms of, you know, your drum uh, arrangement? Um, and also as your relationship um, progressed with Lenny?
0: You know, that was mainly a parts band because Lenny really wanted to hear uh, he likes to hear exactly what's on the record. So you have to learn all the parts. So I learned every bar of all the songs that we played. In fact, the guitar player used to tease me because he said, Craig, he said, Dag, Cindy, you even learn the mistakes. So, you know, I was able to take liberties, you know, after a while because I knew all of the music. Um, And then when the liberties got to be more than Lenny wanted, he'd say, okay, let's take this back to exactly the record. And then I knew the music, so, you know, I could do that. And so could the rest of the guys in the band. So we would, you know, go and and experiment some and then come back and pull it back and then go and experiment some and pull it back. Um, For that particular uh, video that you're talking about, you know, um, there was real, I mean, we were playing the parts of the record. So there was no creative um, liberty there that you were able to take. In terms of the look and the visual and the drums, and I'll start with the drums. Um, fortunately, Lenny is a drummer too, and he loves great drum sounds. So we, you know, were able to get our hands on an amazing um, Slingerland radio uh, king kit for that video, which I wanted to purchase, and unfortunately, the guy who rented it wouldn't sell it to me. I wanted that kit so bad; <laughs> that kit sound so good. Um, uh, but that was a, a, a good thing about working with Lenny, is that he really was into great drum sounds and really into having the drums stand out. So, you know, for me, uh, that was was amazing, and it was an amazing person to. Communicate with about the drums because, you know, if there was something that he wanted me to play, he'd just sit down on the drums and say, Well, this is the groove I'm hearing on this song. Can you play that or, you know, fool around with that or expound on that? And easy, done. Yeah, we can communicate very well. Um, in terms of uh, the look, actually, for that video, Lenny wanted me to shave my head. And um, I was cringing. I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> so we went back and forth about that for quite a while at the shoot. And so, you know, the manager was like, time is money. This is an expensive video. We got to move this. You know, we got to get this along, you know, girl, you're going to shave your head or what? And I'm like, I, my grandmother would roll in her grave if I shaved my head. And I called my mom. I was like, mom. He wants me to shave my head and she said, well, do you want to shave your head?" I said, "No she said, well, then don't <laughs> and so I didn't shave my head so we went with the small little afro thing, which I think was was much better anyway, you know, and that really led to um for me a much cooler look because I didn't want to have the shaved head look you know I mean some women pull it off and they look really gorgeous with it. I wasn't feeling that for myself <laughs> So, but Lenny's, you know, he's got a great eye for, for style, you know, so all the clothes were always, you know, really cool. And the vibe was always really cool. The look of the video, that video was really cool. And, you know, I attribute that to Lenny and to Mark Romanek, who was one of my favorite um, uh, producers. He, he produced that video. Um, I think that's, that's one of my favorite videos ever, you know, and um not just because I'm in it, but I I love the, the stage. I love the way it was set. I love the way it was filmed. You know, I loved the whole uh, energy of it. You know, I think it was really great. And so between Lenny and, and, and Mark Romantic, that really happened in such a great way. Um, so that was really an amazing thing to, to, to be a part of. I'm really happy with that and proud of that.
1: How'd you feel when you first heard something you were part of on the radio or saw the video on TV?
0: Oh it was <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a great thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> There's much more to this Great Truth and Rhythm interview. Just continue on to the next part of the episode. Also be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends and become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you very much.